Good morning to my church family. 2 Kings 2, 19-22 The people of the city said to Elijah, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death to make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elijah has spoken. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, I believe I may have mentioned once or twice that I attended seminary at the Duke University School of Divinity. (laughs) Duke University, of course, is an outstanding institution of basketball and higher learning. And I'm only half joking when I say it that way. Uh, It would be hard to overstate the importance of basketball to Duke University. When I was a student there, I had a friend who used to give campus tours to prospective students, and he would show students around campus, and then he would end every tour in this way. He would say, look, he would say, I'm going to level with you. He said, Duke has a beautiful campus, but there's a lot of schools that have a beautiful campus. And Duke can teach you about the Bible and prepare you for ministry, but there's a lot of schools that can teach you about the Bible and prepare you for ministry. The truth is, he said, you're going to come to Duke for one reason and one reason only. You're going to come to Duke because this is the only seminary where you get a front row seat to a nationally ranked, championship contending, elite level college basketball program. He got in trouble for saying that. The, the admissions office said, you got to knock that off. You can't, you can't. It might be true, but you're not supposed to say it out loud. It, it's, it's, uh, it's impossible at Duke to go a day without in, being reminded about basketball in some way. One of the things that people don't know about Duke University is that it's not an enormous school. Duke has only got uh, fewer than 7,000 undergraduate students. That means that Duke is less than a fifth of the size of Michigan State University, which has some 40,000 undergraduate students. And, and so because the campus is so small, you're constantly running into basketball players as you're walking around the campus. These players who you see on ESPN every day, you're also seeing as you're walking to class, when you're studying in the library. My sister-in-law came to visit us once, and as she was driving through campus, she nearly ran over a point guard because she was so starstruck she forgot to hit the brakes. It's, it's, it's impossible to go a day without being reminded about basketball and how important basketball is to the institution that is Duke University. And of course, at the heart of the basketball program is Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. Duke's legend championship winning Hall of Fame head coach. So Mike Krzyzewski also puts in appearances and you would run into him around campus all the time. My most memorable Coach K encounter came when I was camping out one time for, for basketball tickets. A bunch of us were living in tents trying to score some tickets and Coach K came out to greet us and to thank us for our support. Um, and as he was talking to us, he shared with us a little bit of insight about what they were doing in practice those 
those days. He said, this year, our team is working on cultivating a mindset that we call next play. He said, the thing that we're focused on in practice right now is focusing on what's right in front of us, focusing on the next play ahead of us instead of dwelling upon whatever happened in the play that just, that just occurred. He said, if you miss a basket, shake it off and focus on the next play. If you take a hard foul, you shake it off and you focus on the next play. No matter what the score is, if we're way ahead or we're way behind, you put it out of your mind and you focus on the next play. That's our theme. That's our message for this basketball season. That theme, that message worked for Duke that year. They got to cut down the nets at the end of the season. They won a national championship. One of five national championships that Coach K won during his tenure, his 42 years as the head coach at Duke University. And then after a legendary storied career, after leading the Duke Blue Devils to more Final Fours than any head coach in the history of men's college basketball. At the end of last season, Coach K retired. And you can imagine the mood on campus. You can imagine the emotions, the swirl of emotions that Duke basketball fans went through when Coach K announced that it was going to be his last season. We experienced gratitude, of course, for all that he had given to us. We also experienced grief and anxiety. People wondered what is going to happen to Duke basketball once Coach K is gone. Who could possibly fill his shoes? Is there anybody who can live up to his legend or is this program, everything that he built, just going to fall apart without him? Well, Coach K got to have a say in who the next coach was going to be. He got to name his own replacement, and his choice for the next head coach at Duke University was a former Duke player and an assistant coach named John Shire. And as soon as they announced that John Shire was going to be Coach K's replacement, people started asking questions and raising concerns. People wondered if John Shire was old enough to be the Duke head coach. At 34 years old, he hadn't even been born when Coach K started his career at Duke University. People wondered if John Shire had enough experience to lead the Duke Blue Devils. He had never been a head coach of any basketball team at any level of the game. People wondered if he was tough enough to lead the Duke basketball program. He had never had to hire or fire a person in his life. He had never been the person who had to make those difficult decisions. And, And can you imagine what it must have been like for John Shire to go to work every day for the last year. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to walk into his office every day knowing that on his way into the office he was going to have to walk past a big sign that said, Welcome to Shashevskyville. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to lead his players out onto practice every day on a basketball court that in big blue letters said, Coach K Court. Can you imagine the pressure that he must have felt this last year knowing about all of the concerns and doubts and questions that people had about him? One person who doesn't have to imagine what that pressure must have been like is the prophet Elisha. So in our scripture reading this morning, we have a story of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was the assistant and then the replacement to the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Now, we heard about the prophet Elijah in worship just a couple weeks ago. We heard a little bit about Elijah's life. We heard that God called forth the prophet Elijah at a time when King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were ruling over the Israelites. And we heard that Ahab and Jezebel were greedy and violent and corrupt. And we heard that God 
spoke to Elijah, and God said, Elijah, I need you to stand and speak against the wicked king and queen. I need you to bring my people, call my people, lead my people back to me. And then God poured the Holy Spirit into the prophet Elijah so that Elijah was able to do signs and wonders and miracles like no prophet who had ever lived. He was able to call down fire from the heavens. One time, Elijah raised his hand, and all of the clouds in the sky dried up, and a great drought came over the land. Elijah raised people from the dead. He was like no prophet who had ever come before him. He worked tirelessly for the Lord. He worked so hard that Elijah came to the point where he was broken and burned out and exhausted and depressed. And so God looked at Elijah there at the point of breaking, and God said, Elijah, I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to send you an assistant. And so God sent this young man, Elisha, to be the apprentice and the assistant to the prophet Elijah. And God said, not only that, but I'm going to give you a network of prophets. And God called forward dozens of prophets in every city all across the land, hundreds of prophets scattered through the nation to assist Elijah in his work. And now Elijah didn't have to do that work all by himself. Now Elijah was the leader of a network of prophets who were leading the people back to God, who were resisting the evil and the corruption of the rulers of the land. Elijah led that network year after year after year, and finally the people began to see a change. Finally, the nation started making its way back to God, and finally God decided that Elijah had done enough. And God gave Elijah permission to retire. And one day as Elijah and Elisha were walking along, suddenly Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elijah suddenly had all of the pressure and all of the weight of leading this thing that Elijah had created. All of that settled on his shoulders. As soon as Elijah was gone, people started asking questions. Who could possibly fill Elijah's shoes? Is this whole thing going to fall to pieces or will Elisha be up to the task? People started asking questions and raising concerns about Elisha. People wondered if he was old enough to lead this thing that Elijah had created. People wondered if he had enough experience. Elisha had never called down fire from the heavens. Elisha had never raised anybody from the dead. People wondered if he was tough enough to do the work that Elijah had done. Elijah was this grisly old prophet with this shaggy mane of hair and a big long beard. He looked like an Old Testament prophet was supposed to look. Elisha, on the other hand, was going prematurely bald. He looked... He looked more like the president of a college accounting club than he looked like an Old Testament prophet. And people were not sure that Elisha was up to the job. And Elisha's first day on the job did not go well at all. After Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elisha went to the city of Jericho. And as he was walking into town, all of the prophets of Jericho came out to meet him. And the first question they asked was, where is Elijah? And Elisha said, well, he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, and they did not believe him. They said, what on earth are you talking about? We need to go and find Elijah. He might be bleeding in a valley in the wilderness somewhere. Maybe the whirlwind dumped him on top of a mountain, and he's stuck, and he needs our help. And so they organized a search party, and they went out into the wilderness, and they searched high and low looking for Elijah. And when they came back, Elisha looked at them and said, I told you not to go, but you wouldn't listen. The prophets wouldn't listen to Elisha. They didn't respect his experience. They didn't respect his resume. They didn't respect his authority. 
And you could feel, people could feel this thing that God and Elijah had built together beginning to fall apart as all of those prophets turned their backs and started walking away from Elisha. But then, just then, just as everything was falling apart, just as all of the prophets were walking away from Elisha, a group of people from the city of Jericho came towards Elisha and they asked for his help. They said, Elisha, we have heard that you are a prophet and we're hoping that you can help us. They said, here's what we're facing. We have this beautiful and historic city that is built in, a, in just a prime location. The problem we have is with our water. They said, everything we plant dies. All of the water that, that serves the city comes from a spring that bubbles up from the ground. And we're convinced that there must be something wrong with the water because year after year we experience the same tragedy. We plant our fields and then the crops begin to grow. Green things start to shoot up from the ground and the branches of the trees start to bear fruit. But then before we can bring in the harvest, all of the things that we have planted in the fields wither and die. And the fruit begins to shrivel and rot on the branches of the trees. Not only that, but our young people are unable to have children. Our young people are moving away from the city. Our city is dying. Our city is unable to bear fruit, and we believe the problem must be with our water. Elisha, can you help us? And Elisha looked at these people from the city of Jericho, and he had compassion upon them. He said, here is what I want you to do. Bring me a new bowl and fill it with salt. So they got a bowl. And they filled it with salt. And they brought it to Elisha. And then Elisha went to the place where the water bubbled up from the ground. And he tossed the salt into the water. And he said, thus says the Lord, I have made this water clean. And from now on, this spring, this water will give life and not death. And that's exactly what happened. The water was clean. The water was sanitized. The water was purified and it started giving life to the city again. Jericho thrived. Jericho started to prosper and grow. And still to this day, if you ever go to the Holy Land, you can go to the city of Jericho and you can see what is now called Elisha's Spring bubbling up from the ground. People in the city of Jericho still use that water to water the crops, to irrigate their fields. And that water, that water from that spring has made Jericho a green oasis in the middle of the desert. The city of Jericho still to this day is famous for the quality of its produce, for the size and the flavor of the fruit that they grow in their orchards, all because of Elisha's spring. Elisha went on to have a phenomenal, a great, a storied career as a prophet. He went on to become one of the greatest of Israel's prophets, perhaps even greater than his mentor, Elisha. This is the story of the prophet Elisha, and I love, I love this story of Elisha's first miracle. Here's why I love this story. It must have been so tempting for his first miracle. It must have been so tempting for his first day on the job for Elisha to do what Elijah had done. It must have been tempting for him to raise up his hand and cause the clouds to fly away. It must have been tempting for him to lift up both hands and call down fire from the heavens. It must have been tempting for him to show people that he could do what Elijah had, been, had done. It must have been tempting for him to recreate the past that people were longing for. But Elisha didn't do that. Instead, he trusted in the gifts that God had given him. He trusted in his own calling as a prophet and he opened his eyes and he looked at what was right in front of him. 
And when he did that, this is what he saw. He saw a group of people who didn't care about his experience. He saw a group of people who didn't care about his resume. He saw a group of people who couldn't care less whether or not he was able to call down fire from the heavens. He saw a group of people who had one question and one question only. Can you do something about our water? There's a lesson in that for us, don't you think? You and I are still living at a time when so many people are working so hard to recreate the past. We are living at a time when so many people still are pouring themselves into trying to recreate the church of 1956. In all of the years that I have been hanging around churches, I have heard so many people saying, if only we could get back to what things used to be like when the church had power and authority and respect. If only we could get back to the days when the Sunday school rooms were filled and the, and the pews were overflowing. If only we could just get back to the way things used to be then, everything Everything, everything would be all right. But God does not call us to recreate the past. And God does not call us to fill anybody else's shoes but our own. Instead, what God calls us to do is to trust in the gifts that God has given us, to be who God created us to be, and to open our eyes and look at what is right in front of us. And when we look at what's in front of us, this is what we see. We see that the church is surrounded by neighbors who don't care what denomination we belong to. And we are surrounded by people who don't care what creeds we say in worship on Sunday morning. And we're surrounded by people who literally could not care less what seminary the pastor attended. We're surrounded by people who are asking us one question and one question only. Do you care about us enough to do something about the water? That's where we find our mission. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find our credibility. That is our next play. Let's pray. God, give us the wisdom of the prophet Elisha who believed in you enough, who trusted in you so deeply that he knew he didn't need to be flashy. He didn't need to impress anyone. He didn't need to fill anybody else's shoes. He only needed to show up for work and do the work that you had given him. God, give us the wisdom. Make us the kind of people who show up, the kind of people who hear the voices of our neighbors, the kind of people who care whether or not there's something wrong with the water. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's sing